he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. Welcome to another episode of Bolotified, the one and only podcast about event entertainment, engagement, and all things events. I'm Anthony Bolotta, your Bolotified podcaster, along with my cohort in crime, the effervescent, the wonderful, the never vapid, <laughs> Alex Epostelidis. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> See the things you say right before you hit the record button. <laughs> oh my lord yeah <sighs> i can't imagine that uh you could ever be vapid i would like to think not but i think there are times when maybe i am less than where the well isn't completely full we'll just say it that way <laughs> well, there, there you, go. <laughs> you and everybody else on this line right now <laughs> oh, especially lately. I just, I'm just feeling a little extra tired, but, um, you know, but, and I know it's only January, so this is going to sound silly. Um, but spring is in the air. I walked outside to get mail and I went, Oh, spring's in the air. Really? I I didn't feel that this morning when I left the house, it was warmer than I thought it would be, but I didn't, I know what you're talking about. It's that sudden change in the air that makes you feel like, Oh, the seasons are changing. I usually feel that like the first week of February, I start to mm-hmm. feel that. So you, you're feeling it a bit earlier. Yeah, that. I think just because I want it so desperately. Yeah. <laughs> so Get the girl could... from San Diego. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But, you know, I need the days to be longer because, as we all know, I'm not a morning person. So I need the days to be longer so I can get those hikes in. I, I keep trying. I keep shooting for 536 in the morning and the alarm goes off and I laugh and go back to sleep. Well, you know, COVID completely ripped me away from the six o'clock wake up. I, I can't even look at six o'clock anymore. And that's not really? even that early. I don't get up that early anymore. Yeah. Okay. Don't take this the wrong way, but that makes me feel a tad bit better about myself. Oh, I'm so glad because thank you for that. For sure. (laughs) I think I woke up today. It was definitely like 6.30, 6.40. And I took uh, Lucy out for finally, not to get all gross on this podcast, her first poop in five days. Um, So when when I got back in the room, uh, I just didn't, I couldn't go back to sleep. But normally I've just been able to just go right right back to sleep and it's not as though we go to bed late i certainly don't if i if if midnight midnight is the latest that i ever get to bed and that's really late for me like i really like to be in bed by 10 if i can um and last night was just one of those nights where i i think it was midnight that i finally fell asleep in bed it took me a while so 6 felt really early this morning and I co- totally agree with you with regard to the length of the days. It's so hard to feel any energy in January. It just, it feels 
I know we're in San Diego. It feels cold. It is. It has been cold. It has been cold. Right. It's cold. Yeah. Not freezing, but not cold. Canada cold. No. You not, know, not the uh, northeastern seaboard of the United States cold. Even the Pacific Northwest, my friends who live up there near the border of Canada have been saying, have been sending me pictures and they've been out snowshoeing and all that sort of good fun stuff. Record snowfalls? I don't know if it's record. It might be. I haven't gotten, I'll have to ask my friend Christy when I talk to her, but she's okay, sent not, me pictures. Not to, not to change the subject, but did you know that Canada is a town in Canada? I think I did know that. It starts with a K, but that's the only letter that's different. So see, you and say Canada, I say Canada. And the syllables are different as well, but um, yes. yeah, yeah. Canada is in Canada. What uh, part? I believe it's the east part. I believe it's in Quebec. It's near the capital. Okay. And I can't think of the name of the capital city. I'm just drawing a blank right now. And I won't tell you so that you can feel good about yourself when you remember. Okay, thank you. I may not ever remember. I may never remember again, as a matter of fact. As I like to say, remembering things is overrated. We spend way too much time focused on remembering things. Let it go. Just There's a whole go. song. There's yeah. a whole song that says that, right? A whole song. Exactly. <laughs> And it's sung by a princess. And if she doesn't know, well, then I don't know who does. Wow. This is true. Princesses know everything. Exactly. So we start this year sort of with a bit of a meh, a little meh. Uh, and the world of events is still sort of teeter-tottering with uh, very little happening live still, uh, except in the social realm. Uh, but, and... I should say, hopefully, there will be a change in the weather soon, and we will start to uh, see live events come back around. The predictions uh, range from 2023 to 2024, and they, they also say that um, these are different voices from the event industry I've been uh reading on who have made predictions for 2022. Some of them are saying the comeback won't be until 2024. Everyone is saying, as you would well imagine, hybrid meetings are the thing, the, the trend for 2022. Nobody is actually defining what that means still. And uh, I do believe again, as I've said before on this podcast, that that will all have to do with the goals and objectives of a meeting and what needs to be accomplished. Um, so nobody's really putting their their toe in the water, if you will, and making any predictions regarding what parts of meetings will be hybrid. Although they are saying that meetings and events will require uh, more purpose, that that's what attendees want. And we'll go through a little bit more of that. I'd like to talk a little bit more about some of the trends this year that we're seeing or we're expecting at least. And, and as we know with anything, trends are specul speculative, you know? It's all about somebody's opinion of what could happen and may happen, opinion based on experience and knowledge. But, you know, it's not a fantasy. It doesn't tell us exactly what we're gonna be looking at. It's just 
It's just somebody's opinion. So I share all of that with you when we do, and uh, hopefully you'll have some of your own thoughts and we'll share those with us. We love when people share. We were honking busy in December, weren't we? We were. And it felt good. It felt like people really wanted to uh, celebrate again and uh, see each other again. And they did so carefully. Uh, and I think they're going to continue to see each other, at least in the social market, as we keep saying. Weddings are on the rise. Parties in general are on the rise, as long as there's not a corporate component or corporate piece or an association piece, although the associations are coming back too. Social is where it's at right now. So if you're in the industry and you don't have any social business, it's time to get some and to diversify because those will be the first people out of the gate. So now that we're back on this topic of mm -hmm. events and the year 2022, uh, which is the year that uh, the big year for me and for you too, Miss Alex. I'm not going to say why. Uh, let them guess. Uh, so I did a little bit more research, did some more reading. And I'd love to share the following with regard to what's up for 2022. This comes from Social Tables, which is owned by Cvent which says that, who says that millennials are now the decision makers. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. So as of 2016, millennials became the largest segment in the US labor force. At that point, it was 35%. It seems to be trending more to 56% now. And because of that, they're the largest pool of potential meeting uh, attendees. That makes complete sense. Here's the thing about them. They have higher technological literacy, mm -hmm. no surprise, and they're 62% more likely to travel than their Generation X counterparts. That's a whopping number. They also, interestingly, I think you'll find this interesting too, uh, they uh, value networking over almost any other aspect of an event. They like the face-to-face. -face. And as the average screen time per day increases, so does their desire for face-to-face -face meetings, which is, which is really hard, a lovely thing to hear. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Yes, agreed. They also value experiences over material goods, which says a lot about the experiential market we remain in and uh, the transitional market that we're looking to move towards. Uh, and they have an ability to share those experiences. They want, excuse me, the ability to share the experiences they have on social media. That's very important to them. Interestingly enough, also attendees want more control over their meeting agendas moving into 2022. I say interestingly enough, but honestly, that's probably no surprise at all with how marketing has been targeting the individual for many decades now beginning with uh, Burger King's Have It Your Way many, mm -hmm. many, many decades ago, we were still on that path. And uh, people want it the way they want it, when they want it, where they want it, how they want it. And we're not, and, and the, the idea of collectivism in, in, in consumerism is just not, it's not fervent anymore. People want it their way. They want to be seen as an individual and they want everything personalized. And they're 
and that's what we're talking about with regard to events and meetings. They want, they want to have uh, options. They want to have multiple customizable interactive options. Uh, they want um, feedback. They want to be able to have their voice heard when they're part of an event or meeting. They don't want to sit back and just listen. They want to be intrinsically involved in what's happening. So I think that's going to be very difficult for planners. I was that was the question coming out of my mouth. Do you foresee that as a as a, an easy thing, easier way to accomplish, or do, does it make it more difficult? I think it is easier virtually than it is. Yes. And I think for, on a virtual platform, the key there is that you're continuing to generate content so that you have a full robust array of content for people to consume on their, at their own time, at their own pace. And I think that is going to be a proponent of events. The live event goer is still going to want options. And so that's going to mean uh, perhaps not one huge general session and then a bunch of breakouts, but maybe some mini sessions where people can really select who their top line speaker is going to be that day, rather than, oh, this is what's been planned for us, so I'm just gonna go sit in the audience. I think more uh, choice is still going to be needed in those meetings, which is gonna, it's going to be interesting from a cost perspective, because when we think about meetings now, we think about you know timing a meeting for four or eight hours during a day, and then there's a dinner event, and then there might be a social event, or maybe not. But all of the labor involved, and all the setup involved, and, and the rental of spaces that are that's involved, there's a cost for all that. So if you're thinking about, you know, having to expand the offering, then you're going to have to expand the venue, or you're going to have to expand the number of days, which is sort of counterintuitive to where people are because the attendee wants fewer days which is one of the things that I found. So it is going really? to be a little bit difficult. Yeah, people people don't want to be away as long as they used to. And and you know, this is this has been a a, a continuing effort I would say and uh, from the time that meetings first established because I remember going for example to the special event, the show for event producers and that show was 5 days long. You'd go and you'd be there 5 days no more now it's three days and was would... each day jam-packed or was it jam smatterings jam-packed for five days okay you, well except for the first day because that would be a uh a travel in day mm -hmm. um so there, they wouldn't pack that day but there'd be an event that night that you would try to get into the city by six o'clock to be able to attend uh, and then there'd be education starting the next day with an event the next night, then a general session with more education, more events, and then another evening event. And then, uh, as you know, Michael Cervelli's uh, hot list would happen mm -hmm. on Thursday, as it still does. That would kick off that day. And then there'd be more education, a leadership lunch, and then awards that night, plus the trade show. So, yeah, there was plenty to do in five days, but honestly, what was happening is that we were just wasting too much time. We didn't need that much time. It could still be condensed. And now it's three days 
and uh, I think it feels just as chock full and uh, as it can feel as compelling as a five day event when it's produced correctly and it, and it works. And I think we're gonna be seeing that across the board with in all industries, just lowering the expectation of time and the time commitment because I think a lot of this has to do with COVID. You know, we all want more balance. And that is another, another trend for 2022, not surprisingly. We all got comfortable getting back to what's really important in our lives. And now we want to retain that. And uh, hopefully we are able to, and hopefully when we move back into business as usual uh, and meetings and events that we remember that people want and need balance. Because honestly, Alex, this has been a thorn in my side since I started in this business as an event goer, because Yes, I want to maximize my time at a trade show, at an event, at a meeting, but I also want some downtime and I also want, I want to work out, I want to sleep, I want to eat right, uh, so that I'm, I'm feeling myself and what typically, well, what has, what has happened, I'm not going to say typical, but what has happened is that things are scheduled from first thing in the morning to very late at night, and there isn't a moment to breathe. You might get 15 minutes to go back to your room and change an outfit. And that is just so hard on the body. Exhausting. And your brain poops out after a while. So you're there, but you're not absorbing. No, no way. Luckily, I'm not one of those people that is typically uh, bothered by FOMO, but if you are, you're totally down for the count after the event. You're probably sick because you've only slept a few hours because of course the tendency is after that last event, when everybody's had a few cocktails and nobody is tired, they go to the bar and they're there till one or two in the morning and then you start again at 8 a.m. With a, with a session. So uh, yeah, you know, you'd walk away from, you'd leave that show and a day or two later, you'd find yourself sick in bed from yeah. just, you know, all the So I think it's a good thing. I just think that this move, the, the idea of personalizing content in meetings and events is just going to be a very difficult proposition without the element of virtual. I have been noticing because I've been, you know, taking all these little courses and stuff and so much is offered via Zoom uh, and they're smack dab in the middle of the day. I think, well, a lot of us have jobs but everything is offered in replay. Right. Now, let me ask you, what do you think? I personally, there's a, there's a plus and a con. I mean, at least in replay, you can stop because I'm a huge note taker, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if it's something that interests me, I want to jot things down so you can stop and replay, but there is something to be said, even though you're not in the room with them, to me, there's still a different energy for me personally when I'm watching it live is when I'm watching it in replay. Or is that just me? No, I think you're absolutely right. And I would take that a step further and, I, and say that it's the same when you're in a Zoom or, you are, or you're watching the Zoom recording after the fact. It's the same phenomenon because I just did that with um, one of the courses that I'm taking at SDSU. I missed the actual 
Zoom meeting, which was the initiation of the course. So I had to go back and watch the hour that it was. And I find I found that I wasn't as engaged mm-hmm. because a lot of it was the coming together, the introducing each other, um, the t- you know talking about what it would the 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 the, uh, the schedule and and how it would roll out. And it unless I because I wasn't there in the room and I didn't feel like I was an active participant being watched on Zoom, it wasn't as engaging for me. So there is something to be said for being in the Zoom room. It's definitely, you're definitely experiencing being there Mm -hmm. in as live capacity as you can. But from your point, I do like, I did like it because I could go back and re-listen to things that I thought I missed or misunderstood, which you can't do in the live setting. Of course, you can always get the recording and do it later, but how many of us, there are some who do, and kudos to them but how many of how many of us really go back and watch I mean I just did this this little 7 day class that I took and it was in the morning so half the days I was up for the live and the other half I watched it later but even the days I watched the live and I just went back last night and rewatched the final day because I'm like I really need to pay more attention to this segment but I enjoyed it live and then it was now it was great because I could fast forward. I knew where that segment was and I could focus in on that little aspect and then be done with it. And that really is the beauty of virtual, right? And um, that is that is a um, an asset, a facet of that virtual component that needs to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, capitalized upon mm-hmm. uh, because there's an audience there that wants the content. You can be sure of that, that just needs to find it and know it's there and they'll likely be willing to pay for it as well. If it's something they really want, they will. Yes, they will. Especially if you make it reasonable. And you know, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but lately as I drive around the city of San Diego, I have noticed that there are so many more institutions of knowledge and learning and education than there used to be. And that says to me, people are hungering for information and knowledge. And you have this incredible tool. People don't even have to leave their homes. Uh, they can click easily on a, on a widget and, and give you 50 bucks or 40 bucks or 25 bucks and consume your content and you haven't lifted a finger past the initial uh, upload of your information. You know what I'm saying? It's an easy, it's almost like it's the low hanging fruit and it will continue to be be the low hanging fruit because there's right now a missed opportunity that continues to exist in that that, um, format. You know, for example, one of the shows that we work on or have worked on, uh, the, all of the content that they produce on their stage is, is, uh, owned by them. It's not, we're not talking about, uh, presentations that have been developed by speakers who come on stage and share their information. For the most part, this particular meeting is all about conversations with, uh, C-suite executives, uh, celebrities influential people. So it's not 
owned content. The show owns the content. The, the miss, however, is that there isn't a protocol in place to get the approval of all of the uh, participants on stage to actually turn that content around, put it online and sell it. And unfortunately, I see that as a big miss, especially since we talked about last time on this podcast, the idea of um, keeping your audience uh, engaged annually, not just once or twice a year, but there's an annual, uh, there's a monthly or a weekly, or there's a frequency in the content that you're pushing out so that you're keeping them engaged so that when it comes time for that event, they're already on board. They've been waiting for the invitation. We can't just forget people and then come back to them when it's time to market again. We have to keep them engaged. And so that's a second miss by not uh, uploading that content, getting the, the appropriate signatures and approvals to sell the content after the, uh, the live event uh, and to, to keep it up in perpetuity. Because Let me ask you this. Do you see the, the need for a balance between keeping people engaged and over-engaging? Well, here's the thing. It's all on demand. So you put it on a yeah. website as an on-demand feature for a, 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 a cost that you determine, and they, they consume it at their own, on their own time, in their own way. And if they don't want to consume it, they don't buy it. But it's there, and there. it's available. And that's the key because there will be people who will engage and want that information. And by the way, that's the way to trans, that's the way to, um, I was going to say transfer, but that's not the word I'm looking for, to turn uh, uh, passive meeting goers, virtual meeting go goers into active meeting goers, live meeting goers. That's the way to do it is to get them engaged in your content and your purpose. And then they become a follower and want to be there live. And we have to do that better now than we ever have before because there's so much competition. You have to make, uh, you know, you have to make these meeting goers and participants feel as if they are a part of something, not just this right. erroneous cog. You know, they have to feel like they're, they're, there's a purpose for them being there, that they are contributing to the greater good. Their presence is important. It's not just about, uh, you know, money-making or numbers. Can't just be about that. You know, I want to know that my being there serves the greater good. Mm -hmm. Your identity is tied to that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I even go further and say that most people are looking for community. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This, this is the opportunity to show and, and help them find your community. Because, you know, we're siloing. I, I keep saying this and I could be totally wrong. It's just my opinion. But I do believe that the world is becoming more segmented. We see it happening. And so people are going to be looking for their silos. Where do I fit in? Where does my opinion matter? Where can I make a difference? And, so and where am I going to feel welcomed? And where am I going to feel? Because welcomed? I think as we are siloed, I agree with you 100. percent And as we, as this continues on, there's a a, a bit of a um, 
hermit mode that happens to us that makes it more difficult to go out there, more difficult to, especially if you're shy, right? So if you, if you go in to go into a situation where you know nobody and you are just a number, I'm going to stay home. If I feel like I'm welcomed and I'm a part of the group, even if I've never met those people, but I know when I walk in that room, I'm walking into a known community, I'm going to go. I totally agree with you. We we did have an event this weekend in LA. We had the the good fortune of working with the Society of Simulation and Healthcare. They're such wonderful people. My gosh, the best. Uh, we have to have them on the show because yes. this is really interesting. Uh, but we went and and did this show, and uh, there was a sense of community mm -hmm. there, and uh, there was a sense of belonging. And it felt great to be there. It, it was a lot of fun. It was hard work and a lot of fun. Yeah. I honestly, you know, you said something that made me bring that up. And now I can't remember what you said and why I brought it up. About um, needing to feel like you belonged and you're welcome, especially when you're walking into a room of people you don't know. Right. You need to. Yes. I mean, that's, oh, I was going to say this. Um, I was talking to somebody there who said something very funny. Uh, she made a remark that wasn't really so well received. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just out of practice. I I'm, I'm out of practice with people or um, I forgot how to do people. That's what she said. I forgot how to do people. And I laughed because I thought we have all <laughs> forgotten how to do people and pants. Uh, and it's there, it's, it might seem ridiculous, but it has been harder to get off of the couch and, and become social again and see people and put the pants on and put the lipstick on and get the hair done. Uh, I want our client had to take her heels off because she hadn't walked in heels in, in two years. You know, it's just those things that uh, the human element, you know, that mm -hmm. we we can't forget that. And unfortunately, I have to say that not every planner understands that human element, what people can and will tolerate, how much is too much, what is the right flow. And I will never forget the story. I remember working with an event planner. I may have told the story before. If I have, you can shut me down right now. The uh, trio was playing in the cocktail reception. And they and I said to the client, you probably want to cut them off when you open the doors, which was 15 minutes earlier than they would have ended playing to get his money's worth, if you will. And he fought me on that and said, no, I'm going to have them play until the end. And I said, well, I, I think you're going to have a problem moving people into the ballroom because the sign that you're sending out is that the cocktail reception is still happening. It's still it's in, it's still in full swing. And his response back to me, and I will never forget it was, I'll make them move. And I hey. said to my oh, okay. wow. Exactly. That is not how a professional planner operates. No. Nope. Don't make people do anything. You plan an event that takes into consideration all of the idiosyncrasies of being a human and all of the things that we normally do, like we're late, we forget things, and you 
build the infrastructure based on that and the timeline based on that so that you're not forcing people along and you give them the auditory and visual clues that you need to give them without pushing them like you make do want to move make me want to move but don't cattle prod my behind to get me to move bingo 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 and and honestly i think that's the theatrical training in us mm -hmm. that we understand that like we understand even a 30 second gap in a in a presentation is way too long and feels like a mistake uh those are the things that we bring to the industry that I'd love to see everybody glob onto because it's so important. And it speaks to the collective professionalism of us all, I think, if we're all able to plan in a manner that, that takes the human element into account. I'm, I'm a preacher when it comes to this. So I'm going to get off the topic now before D'Angelo says you're getting in the weeds. Uh, what <laughs> should, what should uh, by the way, just uh, on the topic of, um, of uh, control, the attendee also wants purposeful experiences and they're only going to attend if they feel that the meeting or event has real purpose, innovation, insight, knowledge, uh, an ability, uh, the opportunity to meet people that you wouldn't normally meet, something that you can't get at home. And to that point, 80% of event planners surveyed say that their jobs involve more experiential creation than it did two to five years ago. I find that interesting because two to five years ago, we should have been creating experiential events even then uh, but I'm buoyed to see that people are getting on the bandwagon and what what is an experience as opposed to an event right what is the difference do you have an idea of what I might think the difference is feeling I mean an event you're attending you're watching an experience you're participating yeah, and I think it hits the senses. Yeah. You know, you feel, you become immersed and yeah. involved, whereas an event is definitely much more passive and um, it doesn't pull you in as easily as an experience does. Like eating a gourmet meal with your nose plugged. You're not going to taste, smell, anything. I love it. Exactly. Why bother? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I found that to be very interesting that especially millennials want more purpose in their events and uh, more, uh, they want to walk away with some tangibles. And uh, I see that as being key, as they have said, moving forward. Um, technology obviously is at the forefront of events these days. Uh, that's no surprise. Uh, interestingly, though, uh, Cvent is saying that technology can decrease costs for a planner up to 30% and their productivity by 27% and attendance by 20% all by using technology, incorporating it into uh, an event or meeting and making it a, a, a real viable piece. And I'm assuming in this article, they're talking about virtual content uh, and content outside of the live meeting as well. Uh, 
as well, people want more complex experiences than they have before. And uh, by the way, Amex Global Meetings forecast, this is a, an annual forecast, they indicate that the number of annual meetings since 2009 has only grown 5.4%. Oh. But the number of attendees at those meetings has grown 22.7%, which means that meetings are not only becoming more complicated and complex, they're becoming bigger. And so that is another, uh, another challenge for planners yeah. is dealing with larger audiences. Uh, and, you know, some people say, I could do, I can do 50, I can do 500. And that's not necessarily, that's not necessarily the truth. Uh, it's a whole different ballgame when, when you're dealing with that many people, especially when you're dealing with rooms and accommodations. That's a piece that really sucks up time mm -hmm. like nobody's business, because can you guess what the first the first concern is of attendees to a meeting at, uh, to which they're going to travel? Their hotel. Yeah, that, of that's course. the first yes. concern, right? So that's where a lot, and usually the biggest concern, and depending on the person, it could be the biggest concern. Uh, so it's it's a big time drain, and when you're dealing with big audiences like that, it, it's just it's exponential. So it, what bodes well for us in San Diego, I think, because we love this city, and it is America's city. Uh, is that where people meet matters more than ever before. And uh, that the destination is not just geography, it's a quintessential piece of the puzzle that defines meeting success. And our own Shimo, Christine Shimo Shimasaki, who is one of the uh, faculty members at SDSU and used to be, uh, I want to say she was the chief of marketing at the San Diego Convention Visitors Bureau before it was uh, the, uh, the San Diego Tourism Authority, uh, she says the city serves as the backdrop for content. It's like designing the stage. What kind of feel do you want the stage to have when your attendees come out? It has a direct impact on their experience. And uh, essentially, a purposeful meeting isn't complete without a destination that reinforces that purpose. So even though millennials are more 62% more travel happy than the rest of us, they're, they're looking for venues that inspire their sense of leisure travel as well as business travel. They want to combine those and they want to mix fun with business and uh, enjoy the venue, the, the scenery, the city while they're there. And that's a bit of a change because, you know, the, rule of thumb has been the meeting ends at three, the flight leaves at four, we're out. Uh, so the idea that people are spending time in the cities that they're investing and in traveling to is key and picking the right city is, is also key. And that bodes, bodes well for us because we're a city, it does. That, right? Is yeah. very, uh, um, uh, traveler oriented, uh, and has lots to do for the family, for the individual, uh, young people, old people, all people alike. It's a, a great town with a lot to do. So we bode very well. Well, it leaves a good taste in their mouth. If it's a city that the people don't want to leave or that they do want to come back to when they think upon that meeting and that experience, it's all a happy memory. 
Mm -hmm. And apparently 78% of attendees indicate destination as the top driver to attend, which is very interesting. Because on the other hand, the venue or the location is also the fifth largest barrier to attendance coming in only behind time and cost related factors. So a, a, a location is either going to draw people or turn them away. It's very, very interesting uh, phenomena there. Makes sense to me. Everyone wants to feel like they're on vacation these days. And so that's the key to a destination. Well, awesome. because we all get so little vacation, right? Correct. And that's what people are thriving mm -hmm. for or, or, or uh, thirsting for, excuse me, authentic local experiences, uh, which is interesting also because it's putting more focus on some of the second tier, less expensive cities like Nashville and Phoenix and Denver. As, as you know, they've become widely popular in the last few years. Uh, because they offer that authenticism, they offer the local experiences at a bit less cost. And than so, our fair city. Than our fair city, our California city, yes. Um, and the, the general feeling moving forward is that events just will never be what they were. They will never be the same. Uh, they'll always, they'll have a, a hybrid component moving forward. Um, they'll be much bigger, much richer, much more engaging is, is what people are saying. I say we should be there already. Um, hindsight. Go ahead. Just hindsight. What did you say? Hindsight. Oh yes. 2020. Yeah. Uh, Micro events is something else that's being touted as a trend. And this came from Unique Venues magazine. And uh, of course they're saying hybrid events as well, but the idea of a micro event, a one to two hour event, obviously usually enjoyed virtually because very few people are gonna leave their house for an hour. You know, So I would say if you're doing something that's, if you're doing a micro event that's live, it's the minimum has got to be two hours for people to make that investment of time. Uh, and travel. Uh, and when I say travel, I even mean local travel. Uh, but with regard to virtual events, the micro event, the one hour event is becoming more popular. Uh, and I think we see that as a, as a uh, condition of what we experienced in 2020 and 2021 with our virtual events that were way too long. You can't give people the same amount of content that you just don't have their focus. Uh, you don't have their energy. There's so many distractions. It's just nonsensical. It's a waste of time and money. And so these micro events are becoming very popular and, and for good reason. The ability to, to catch small snippets of information to connect in a small amount of time and then move on. Makes sense to me. You know, it has to be digestible. Yeah. And uh, there is a, uh, uh, what's the, I'm losing my words today. Use your words. Use <laughs> your words. This is why Mondays are probably better because we're more fresh. <laughs> so uh, somebody has noted as a trend, transformational experiences and 
I find this interesting, particularly having read uh, the book called The Experience Economy, uh, which states actually that we, we're basically in the experience economy now, and that grew from goods and services. And sort of a good ex uh, example of that is uh, at one point, uh, you would cook your own meals and go to the grocer and buy all of the ingredients and bring it home and cook it. Now you buy prepared meals or you eat out uh, and less time is spent on the goods and services and more time and money is spent on the actual experience itself. And from this this uh, paradigm, we move into transformational experiences, which is the idea that you walk out better than you walked in, if you mm -hmm. will, in some way, whether it's a facelift or a brain lift, you know, you're getting Soul lift, emotional lift. Exactly. You're getting something tangible from the experience. And that's the transformational part of it. And Honestly, I feel like we should have been thinking about this all along because the whole purpose for giving an experience in my mind is to transform thinking. Otherwise, the experience is just for the experience sake. And that lays flat for me personally. Well, and again, if, if people walk away from an event, an experience, feeling like they somehow contributed to the greater good, they are excited. And they'll come they back. feel important. They will come back because they are now motivated to want to do more, to continue to contribute to the greater good. Right. I really don't think, while I know there's a selfish component, I think basically human nature, I don't feel like our basic nature is that of being selfish. I think we all want to know that we are doing something good that we are somehow whatever it is we're doing is somehow in service of service to others to the bigger picture it's an interesting point of view i i agree i think people are they want to be a part of something and feel a part of something and feel like they have value and that they're they have an impact and um i think that kind of points to selfishness i think but because it's all about me and what I want, but, but. No, that's not, that's a very good point. And, and actually selfishness is not a bad thing. If you look at it as selflessness, that's I'm true. taking care of self because I can't take care of everybody unless you take care of self. So being selfish in that regard and getting something so that you can then turn and are motivated to do more. That's not a bad thing. No, not at all. And you know, to this point, um, this isn't transformational uh, events, experiences, doesn't mean having to turn it all upside down. Right. It could be as simple as just involving people more. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest um, issues that we face uh, in, in meeting production and in working with say a C-suite on stage or uh, not necessarily keynoters because they're really good at this, but uh, executives on stage is taking questions from the audience, is answering questions in a town hall setting, uh, not holding back, is being, you know, being authentic and real and honest. And that scares so many people. And yet 
that one act alone could make a world of difference with many of the meetings and many of the meeting attendees that we see. Just the open dialogue and the willingness to talk about the tough subjects on stage in the open in a forum. And that happens so rarely whenever a client and we had one when we did uh, NEB, uh, which is the, the Association of uh, Balanced Professionals, people who balance air systems for hospitals and uh, a lot of, um, uh, here's, I lost the word again, uh, engineers in this particular association, they do a town hall and they lay out their goals and their uh, their uh, plans moving forward and they take questions and they answer the hard questions right there live in front of everyone. That alone can transform people. And it rarely happens. The idea of letting people ask questions during an interview with a celebrity on stage nobody wants to do it why because it's hard to manage and it could be it could get out of control and somebody in the, in the audience might ask something that's not appropriate well i think they're just scared beepless if you will because you got to face people and you've got to be real and you've got to give them the answers when they want them and just skirting those issues doesn't help anybody well no and there's got to be willing there's got to be a willingness for growth. And the only way you have growth is breaking through. And some of those things are painful and difficult and hard. But if you want to grow and be better, you have to be willing to feel the feels. Yeah, and share. Share mm -hmm. the, the floor, if you will, mm -hmm. with people who are attending your event. Uh, because that's what they want. They don't want to sit back and just listen. We've said it a million times. They want to be involved. Uh, before we get in the weeds on that, because I feel a D'Angelo coming on again, uh, to no surprise, another event trend is increased health and safety protocols, COVID testing, uh, showing proof of vaccination. Uh, if you're not tested and don't have proof of a current test or recent test, having a test there on site, some shows are putting the bill for the testing and some shows are putting it on the attendee. And I think that has a lot to do with the value proposition and uh, you know, what's involved. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be going anywhere. It certainly won't go away any sooner and hand sign sanitizer uh, systems and mask wearing is not going anywhere either, at least for a while. And then, uh, Interestingly enough, I'm seeing even more about customization and personal, personalization from others uh, who have sounded in on the trend aspect of 2022. Uh, Massachusetts-based venue, uh, MIT Endicott House, which is a venue in uh, just outside of Boston, also um, mentioned as a trend, corporate responsibility. Hmm. Yeah, I, I thought that was... Uh, a bit odd, and they see it as materializing in shorter, more flexible events being one thing, um, looking for varied points of view from all over the spectrum, 
being highly inclusive, being eco-friendly and people-friendly. Yeah, it's not a short order by yeah. any means. Uh, but, you know, we do put a lot on our corporations in America. We expect a lot from them because the feeling is they make money from us, off us. So we want and expect a lot from them. And that's not going anywhere. The expectation is increasing. And the, the call for, for effective leadership is increasing. And there's a big hole there, I would say. Well, I really, I, I'm liking the whole thing about corporations taking more responsibility. And I like that it being, again, it goes back into the greater good, organize events that are eco-friendly, give back all of that. I do think we need more of that. And I know I expect that, especially in this day and age. Absolutely, I do too. Uh, I, sometimes I expect too much, I think, but yeah, I do too. You feel like you, especially as especially as prices increase, as they're doing mm -hmm. now, and inflation is hitting us, you know, the expectation is just going to grow. The more we spend, the more we want. And it goes back to what you said earlier about millennials wanting more experience than goods. That's how I'm not a millennial, but I feel that. I, I don't need to walk away with a bag full of things. Yeah. I don't need that. It's it's going to end up in a landfill. I don't need it. I would rather have a great experience and know that the event was designed in a way that is eco-friendly, you know, that is providing that experience. So on that note, mm -hmm. uh, I found, uh, I found uh, a carbon footprint online that was offered online that uh, represents the carbon footprint of an event. And interestingly, only, I do say, say that a lot, don't I? Interestingly, interestingly, materials and waste account for 1% of the carbon footprint of an event, just one. Whereas travel accounts for 73%. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Food and beverage, 12%. Mm -hmm. A lot of waste there. Accommodations, 11%. That's an interesting one to look at because what is it about accommodations that they are attributing to the carbon footprint? Is it, it must be the washing of sheets, yeah. the cleaning. Yeah. yeah, it must be all that. And then the venue itself, 3%. So I assume the venue is outside of the accommodations in this respect, maybe not. But in many cases, the accommodations and the venue are one and the same. So it's a, it's a bit uh, hard to understand how a venue could be 3% when is in fact the venue that hosts the food and beverage and maybe the accommodations. So are we talking about venue waste, towels in the bathroom, soap in the kitchen, um, air conditioning, air conditioning heating, all of those things. One big room for 500 people as opposed to 250 rooms individually using up all those things. Correct. Right. So that makes sense to me. It was very interesting numbers. Um, also, what's being trended is uh, that AR will outpace VR in the industry. So augmented reality is AR. 
and virtual reality is VR. And the difference is this. Virtual reality is putting somebody in a different place altogether. You know, you've seen people in the goggles uh, and you've seen them fall off ledges, basically thinking they're somewhere else. That's virtual reality. Augmented reality is augmenting, bringing that virtual, com uh, uh, virtual aspect into the live arena. So it's, a, it's an augmented reality. It's a virtual component of the live arena. So it's something that makes the live event or the live arena feel more engaging. Uh, so that is outpacing virtual reality. And obviously, because events are communal mm -hmm. and virtual reality is solitary. Sure, two or three of you could be wearing the headsets. Maybe as we, we experienced when we went to Wonder Spaces a few years ago and sat around a table mm -hmm. and we all wore the goggles. There were maybe 10 of us there. Uh, but that was a, what, a five-minute experience? Mm -hmm. It wasn't an evening, is my point. Right. And so the idea of putting a, people in these goggles at an event makes no sense. What makes sense is to augment reality and to do things that impact the full group. Does, does that make sense? Is that a Perfectly. viable explanation? Yes, I think so. So we're seeing that grow, uh, and we're seeing it grow exponentially, uh, way uh leaps and bounds above virtual reality, which will be a novel, a novel thing that will still be a part of events. Maybe there'll be a, for example, we do trade shows, right? And we see that as a part of trade shows now where a company can bring in the virtual reality, put the goggles on their attendees and give them a real view of what they might expect if they came to their venue or use their product. That That's an efficient use of VR. Because again, you're focusing on the individual. Uh, so we're seeing that trend that will, will continue to increase. Uh, I, for one, am, I'm waiting for somebody to say to me, okay, we have to engage people with augmented reality because I'm not looking forward to having to do that, but we'll do it when we need to. It's just not something that floats my boat. You know? Well, like we did in the beginning of all this, figure it out yes and we'll make you, it happen you know i i just made that remark and then i forgot that for latitude last year we actually did uh a um oh my goodness i lost the word again anthony go back to school oh you are in school it's not helping <laughs> because you're tired <laughs> uh we um brought in a hologram mm -hmm. and we used a piece of equipment that uh cisco uh, donated to us for the event. They purchased it uh, by a small firm in, in Italy, and it's called a hollow box, H-O-L-O-B-O-X. And uh, we used it to bring in one of our onstage speakers, and she was brought in 3D. Now, the hollow box is a very, um, it, it has its place, and I would venture to say that the stage is not the right place for the box because it still offers only a very limited uh, sight line, if you will. You have to be right in front of the box to see it in all of its glory. If you're too far right or left of center in the audience, you don't get the impact and you end up watching it on 
IMAG, which is how we did it uh, when we were asked to use the box on stage. I fought tooth and nail because I knew it wouldn't be impactful for the entire audience, but we did it and the client was happy. Uh, so we have done this sort of augmented reality, if you will, uh, but it's not easy. It's, it's, very, uh, it's very involved and uh, it takes time. Uh, and we were up against the clock as well. So it isn't something that I would say you do if you have a day to set up an entire event. It's something that requires time and uh, you know, exactness. Exactly. You have to be right on. And, you know, just to give you some idea, we knew this hologram was, was likely going to be a part of this event three months prior to it. It would be put on the table, it would be taken off the table, it would be put on the table, it would be taken off the table. And all that did was delay the planning of this event and delay the production elements of this event and cause a lot of a lot of consternation. Because what happens is that even before the event begins. The stakeholders, those people who are going to be on stage, want to know what does the stage look like? Where, were my, where if I have visuals, will, will they show up? Where am I in relation to the audience? Uh, how big a space do I have? Can you show me? You know, all of these things have to be communicated for the comfort of everyone. And if you are constantly waiting for a decision to be made and for something to stick, you're never going to get there. And it's something that um, takes planners by surprise as it does clients because they don't necessarily understand the time frame. It's sort of like this, Alex. People, uh, not so much today, but easily five or six, even 10 years ago, people would want to do these big uh, video displays in their events, whether it was um, LED or, you know, just uh, traditional video projection, the idea of 360 video or a wall of projection became really popular. But what most people failed to understand was that was just the one side of it. The other piece is building all of the content that will be put on those screens. That takes a lot of time and money and effort and it and has talent. to right and talent and it has the to niche. be right and a lot of back and forth. It takes time and all that we did last year was waste time. I couldn't even say to a designer, this is the set. This is what we're designing on because we did use a video set which meant that every piece of the set needed to come alive with content. I couldn't even tell them this is what we're working with until just a few weeks before the event. By that point, we're so far behind the weeds that if we have a, a, a show without hiccups, it's by the grace of God. And I, I, I mentioned this because production and not because I'm in it, I am guilty of the same thing before I got into it. We, we do not account for the time and energy that it takes. And this includes when a client 
gets the room is able to enter the room you know people will try to save money and say well i don't need the room the day before because that's going to cost me an extra ten thousand dollars so we'll take it that morning and think that it's all just going to be sublime and beautiful when that extra day can make or break the event and it's worth the 10 grand that you're going to spend because if you're not if you're not efficient and you don't hit the mark you've done nothing then there's overtime and all of that and that all those add up plus the toll it takes on the crew and how much uh, easier and cohesive everything goes when everybody's rested and able to work at a pace that's reasonable as opposed to having to fit in an awful lot of production in a very short amount of time. Right. And then tempers are high and emotions are high, and then you don't have a pleasant experience. Right, and I, I think here's where people make the mistake, and I think it's an honest mistake. They don't realize that the crew needs to rehearse before they do. <laughs> If they want it to be spot on when they get on stage, if they're okay with rehearsing with the crew, that's great. But that rehearsal needs to happen. And they don't understand that it's not because I, as the producer, understand the show and I know the cues that I have to call doesn't mean it's going to happen the right way because I'm, I have to depend on my crew and their ability to catch what I'm throwing as quickly as I'm throwing it. And if they're not aware that something's coming up, if we haven't rehearsed it and it's thrown in as a surprise, there's a chance they're going to muck it up. And it's no fault of theirs. Zero fault of theirs. And it's no fun. It's no fun to be put in that position. No, because here's the other thing, Alex. I don't think people realize that the crew is as vested. They're stakeholders too. They're as vested in the show as anybody who stands on that stage because it's a representation of their work. And unlike, and I'd mean no disrespect, unlike a centerpiece that might not have all 12 roses in it, whereas the others do, people notice what happens on stage. They notice the mistakes. They notice when the mic isn't on. They notice when the lighting isn't right. They notice when it takes the video 10 seconds to hit after the cue. And so when you're behind the scenes, it's like a dagger in your heart because you want it to be spot on right. And that's, I think that escapes most clients. They don't understand that there's real stakeholding going on behind them as well. And a real good, uh, a real good uh, example of this, I was talking to uh, David Eppolito, who we know and love. He is the CEO of um, Multi-Image Production Group up in Vista, California. And he's, a, he's incredible. He's wonderful. He's a wonderful guy and he knows his stuff. And we were working on an event and we got a change at the very last minute. It was a social event, which, which made him have to run a cord around the perimeter of the event that he wasn't able to secure down, tape down, hide in any way. And while it was around the perimeter of the event, and I will say to you, Alex, nobody noticed. I noticed, he noticed, but nobody noticed. 
it made him crazy because it didn't matter to him that the audience, the group didn't notice. What mattered to him was that the professionals in the room noticed the in-house company that would have normally had the business if we hadn't brought somebody in, the uh, banquet captain, the catering staff, those people, because we know when it's right and when it's wrong. And we don't want to be embarrassed in front of our colleagues. And certainly we don't want to hear that somebody had a bad impression of us because a cord was not taped down and it looked unprofessional. And those are the things that escape our clients because they're just not focused on those things and they don't understand that the excellence that we want to give them is also about what we do. There's an art to be willing to admit that you don't know what you don't know and listen to the people who do know. It's I really think it's an art form. I'm beginning to agree with you on this because I have been in rooms with some very bright leaders who don't listen. And it's becoming the it's become the bane of my existence because all I want to do is make their event the absolute best that it can mm -hmm. be because I'm vested as a stakeholder. And like all of the people that we work with, I don't want the hotel to walk in and see a mistake. We did, um, we did a, a, a show for um, NAREP, the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals, that um, the founder, Gary Acosta, wrote. It was a one-man show called 53 Million and One. And I uh, helped with the scripting. I helped to produce it. I directed it. I helped with the musical content. I, I um, was a real instrumental part of this piece. I know the cues back and forth. I know what needs to happen. Well, we presented it as part of Latitude last year. And as I was trying to rehearse it, somebody was on that stage taking focus from the crew and uh, eating up time and not being respectful of the things that we had to do. And that show didn't come off the way it needed to come off. And I was mortified. I don't want to be mortified. And I, I can only do so much, you know, uh, I don't have control of the clients. I can't say to the client, I can't have you on the stage right now. What I need is for the founders to say, this is a closed room. Nobody's allowed in. And I need that support so that I can make what needs to happen, happen without all of the distractions. And that's just one example of the kinds of things that can go wrong. We are not, we're human and we're not um, without fault and we make mistakes and nobody wants to be the reason why something didn't go off well. And after that show, after that particular hour, I was livid and uh, I could do nothing about it. We tried, but then when um, my V2, who was running the playback machines, said to me, we should have just put these assets in the other machine because there's already a, a, an automatic hold. I went ballistic. 
but it wasn't his fault. See, I went ballistic because I thought, why didn't you just do that from the beginning? You're the expert on that machinery. You should have just done that. But he was relying on my okay. And I was relying on my ability to give him an okay, but I was distracted by somebody who was taking up my time on stage. So it didn't come together the way it should have. I'm at fault, he's at fault, we're all at fault, but nobody wants to be at fault. We wanted to go well. And ultimately the problem was all of the distractions and the lack of respect for the work that has to happen. There was one other thing that happened on that show. I had an argument with, with two other people. One was a security guard who felt he had the right to tell me how one of the VIP CEOs was going to come into the room and it wouldn't be through the backstage. And I had a 10 minute fight with him and then I just couldn't do it anymore because the room was open and we had to start. And I just, I just let him do what he needed to do, which wouldn't you know, he came in the front, he came in through the audience, he looked idiotic because all of the other CEOs in that session came in from backstage. He was the non-conformer. And then what did he do after this session? He left by going off backstage. So that entire argument was for no reason at all, because at the end of the day, the gent still went through the backstage to exit stage. And all that security guard did was waste my time as a, as the producer. And look at, you know, me, it's not about my ego. It's about the job. And I should have the right as a producer to say to that security guard, no, this is the way it works. And he will succumb. But that's not the way it works in this particular show because there's no code of conduct. There isn't anything that lets people know the ballroom's out of use right now and you shouldn't be in it. You need to be away from it. And there's no support there. So I deal with all of these people who think they have a right to say what they think and will put me to task. And it's just not a it's not only not fun, it's not enjoyable, but it's not productive. So there's my last tangent. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think I'm surprised that I didn't get the, you're in the weeds, uh, text. Maybe he's not even listening, uh, or the rap text, but that's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, having talked about trends and some of the things that we deal with in events. How about that? That's good. A lot of information today. A lot. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that we gave you something that you can chew on for a while. And if you have any comments or questions about anything that we presented today, please, please, please let us know. Look us up, bolada.com. Just go to the podcast page and there will be a window there for you to type in your question or your concern. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please give us five stars. If you're listening to us anywhere else, just keep listening and share us with your friends. Anyone in the industry, I'm sure, would like to listen and we'd love for them to listen to us. Um, that's about it from us today. I think we'll say goodbye. Bye. And uh, stay engaging. Bye.